0: Uh, this is for insanity, um, but I'm being told that uh, this is not really insane. And I, I'm sorry, i got to go with the voices in my head. In our last exciting episode, we had uh, Philoman discussing his origins. And now we go to a segment where Philoman takes phone calls from his listeners.
1: Okay, sir, go ahead. You're on the air. Okay, sir, go ahead. Hello? Am I on the air? Uh, yes sir, uh, do you have a question for our special guest? Phil Oman here. Yeah, I wanted to ask him about the Credo. Ask him if he can say something about the Credo. Okay, I'm glad you asked
2: that question, because it's something that I've been meaning to get into. Okay, basically we all know what truth is, and, and essentially that's just what everybody thinks is true, right? Now, of course, we've got the card here and he thinks truth is some pretty weird things. I mean, like, he thinks his name is... Descartes, you know, shows how much he knows. Okay, justice, okay? Now, justice is a very tricky concept because I'm uh, not really sure what exactly is justice. Well, let's not even talk about either of those. That's the well, I, I think kind of we that. just had Khomeini on, and he told us all about justice. But go ahead. Ah, uh, see, Khomeini's view of justice is to do good for your friends and harm to your enemies, you see. So that means that uh, to, that would, it, it or put it this way, what you could uh, what would be just in that characterization would be to go and steal money from your enemy's wives, steal their food, their clothes, you see. Now, so in, in essence, justice becomes sort of criminality, sort of a grand theft or a minor theft. So that's why, you see, those are very difficult concepts, you see. Modus ponens, now on the other hand, is very different from modus tonens, modus tollens. Excuse me. Oh, I made a mistake.
1: Tollens? Yes, modus tollens. that is exactly correct. I see you're familiar with the concept. Oh, yes, that's uh, something to do with uh, Japanese cameras, I think. Uh,
2: Well, that's where they they got it from the philosophical field. Basically, modus ponens is a a valid logical argument. And now I'm not talking about logical as, oh, hey, that's logical. I'm talking about logic, formal logic where so you put your black tie and your tucks on and, uh, I mean, you're logical. Modus ponens is a valid argument. Okay, it doesn't necessarily say that it's true. It's valid. So truth and valid have a lot to do
1: without each other. Is there a such a thing as a valid truth?
2: Oh, but of course. And there is... Let's see, there's valid truth and there is a valid untruth.
1: As an example, give us one valid truth. Valid truth. And one invalid truth invalid. There is no such thing as an invalid truth. However, there is a valid untruth. Will give us an example. Of okay, a valid truth. If I
2: live in Detroit, then I live in Pennsylvania, okay? No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me, let's make that if I live in Detroit, then I live in Michigan. Okay. Now, you can say, well, hey, you live in Detroit. So, therefore, the truth comes out that, yes, this man lives in Michigan. Now, that's modus ponens. You see. That's a valid truth. Now, a valid untruth would be, oh, say, I live in Detroit, therefore I live in Michigan. And somebody says, hey, I see your license plate on your car. You live in Michigan. The guy says, that's right. So therefore, the truth must be that I live in Detroit. That's not true. Because you could live in, in Can-Can-Key or Pontiac, that's correct. Or Detroit, even. Wau-Kesaw. No. Or Arkansas. That's Wau-Kesaw. right. Or Waukesaw. That's right.
1: I have a good friend of in Waukesaw. I just thought I'd get that bug in. <laughs> Hi, friend. Okay, so see that would be a valid untruth. Okay.
2: Uh, no, that wouldn't. That would be an invalid truth.
1: <laughs> Not untruth.
2: No, that would be an invalid truth because the guy does in fact live in Detroit. However, an, un- an invalid untruth. Now, now we're gonna get to some really good stuff here. Okay. An invalid untruth is, is quite simply guy a who lives lie. Lives
1: Pittsburgh and says that it is in Milwaukee. <laughs> Boy, that's good. No,
2: it is quite simply. Something that it has that is not true has no basis in reality. Oh, sort of like Jimmy Carter. However, it can be arrived at validly, validly, hardly that's, ever validing, That's fine. Go ahead. So that is that, that is a valid untruth, So there is valid truth and valid untruth, Oh, maybe a little bit invalid truth, and oh, maybe a little bit of valid something else, but, basically, it's valid truth and valid untruth. Now, we don't care about that. That has absolutely nothing to do with it. Oh, go ahead, if it makes you cough or sneeze, just help yourself. Uh, this modus ponens is quite simply a valid logical argument. Okay. However, Immanuel Kant's characterization of the categorical imperative is a quite interesting concept. You see, Immanuel Kant was a German. It's a kraut. Oh, maybe he was Polish, or or, oh gosh, I don't know. He might have been Swiss, but I think he was German. Let's say, just for the sake of argument, keep him German, and let's say that he grew up in in the tiny town of Auschwitz. Is that in Germany? Oh, good What a lucky guess. I think it's Austria, but that's okay. So he said, "Well, I can't repeat what he said because it was in German, and I don't (laughs) know German." (laughs) <laughs> but I can give you a translation of it, and I think it's a pretty good one too. Basically, Emmanuel Kant's characterization of the categorical imperative,
1: as paraphrased by,
2: as oh. paraphrased by Philo man... <laughs> goes quite simply, something it's like this. Very, <laughs> <laughs> something <laughs> like this. Now, this theory, which is to say Immanuel Kant's theory, started back long ago, you see, and it went back then as it goes now, you see, and it, and it was even formulated back then as it is formulated now, that's simply because we formulate things the way that Kant formulated, and because simply like, well, what the heck, we're talking about Kant's formulations, right? And it has
1: evolved through the age of man. Well, it certainly changed. So, if we might get to the point, uh, his characterization is... Go mm-hmm. Very,
2: very similar to John Stuart Mill's utilitarianism. Now, John Stuart Mill was an interesting character in England. Or maybe France, but... They didn't seem to think so at the time. Oh, so we lost an election or two. However, Mill had a very interesting concept. He thought utilitarianism was the greatest good for the greatest numbers. Kant picked up on that. Now, this is very interesting, because Mill lived after Kant, (laughs) and Kant picked up on that and he says, wow, maybe we could devise an ethical system that you could have, an action would be right or wrong or right. So you have three ways that an action could be, and it would all depend on whether or not." This action could be generalized for everybody in the world, and if everybody could do this action, then it is a right action. If everybody could not do, could not, could not do this action, then it would be a wrong action. Now that does not mean such things as running a mile for a man who doesn't have any legs. You see, that you know would be an action that not everybody could do, but that doesn't mean that the action would be wrong. He was talking about ethical sorts of things like yelling, moving a firehouse. So, what he finally came around to was. What he called the categorical imperative. Now, you see, President Carter always states things categorically, you see, meaning just bold faced and just all together. So, that's where I get the word categorical. From. See, he made that word up. You and, uh, you see, so that was categorical, okay, and imperative. It was imperative that everybody can act this way. You see. Now, I'm not sure that your philosophy teacher would tell it to you that way, you see, but he's just trying to spoon feed it to you with a little sugar coating. However, that's basic that's that's the way that it really is, you see? and that's manual characterization of the categorical imperative. Now, other people have characterized the categorical imperative, whole oh, as as a monster in the night, you see? and other people have categorized the categorical imperative, whole oh, a dolphin, but basically, concept that the categorical imperative was none other than whether or not a behavior could
1: be generalized. Okay. Oh, well, thank you. That that was quite an interesting answer. Now. Uh I'd uh I'd like to get into if we if we might uh the categorical imperative of Kant. if You can talk to us for a few minutes about that. Sure, sure. <sighs> By the way, where did the name Philoman come from? I
2: see you're going to make this as difficult as possible. Now, we could have, you know, this could have gone very smoothly, but, uh, hey, I don't have to put up with this kind of stuff, you know. I mean, now I can leave and you won't have Philoman to kick around anymore.
1: Well, answers, you decide, or callers, you decide. <laughs> if, uh, we get any phone calls at all within the next, uh, minute and a half, we'll continue this discussion, an absolutely fascinating discussion with Philoman. If not, then, uh, We've got a couple more interesting things that we can put on here. Hey, we can play The Wizard of Oz. There we go. We'll play The Wizard of Oz, our full man. You decide. Is that the
2: original Kiss album?
1: Let's do that. Okay. Um, Well, I think in a democracy, this should be decided by our listeners, if there are indeed any. By this point, after... Yes, well... um, so callers, I want you to call in, let's see, the numbers again are three two eight seven four five three and six six four five four seven three. So go ahead and give us some calls and uh in about two and a half minutes we'll come back and do whatever we're gonna do.
0: Can Dee overcome her fear of hamsters in time to save Glenda's stepson? Will Bill at last realize his lifetime goal of becoming spotter on bowling for dollars? And can Phyllis find room in her heart to forgive Glenn for getting her lasso up so pregnant? Find out this find out later this morning on Guiding the doctors to live in search of the young and the restless all the days of another world as all my children hope for tomorrow on most of these same stations. And if you're listening in the car, thanks for the ride. Oh, hello there. Well, it's been about a decade since Reagan had been exorcised. But now she's beginning to experience funny feelings as she begins to date. Thanks for the
1: movie, Nick. i really had a good time.
0: You really liked it? I wasn't sure. You seemed sort of, well, you know, distracted.
1: Oh, no, I really enjoyed it. It's just, I enjoyed watching some of the people more.
0: Yeah, I, I noticed you were spending a lot of time looking all around.
1: That couple behind us was sure going at of there for a while, weren't
0: they? <laughs> well, until they ran out of screaming. I mean, ran out screaming. But, Reagan, I wish you wouldn't turn your, the rest of your body around when you look behind you like anyone else. I just don't care if you are a contortionist.
1: Well, it's, it's been a little stiff lately. There, that's better.
0: Must be t- under 30 degrees outside, we'll freeze.
1: Please, you toe licking ball of wax ass. I'm a scaler. Please, Nick, I'm, I'm off the of hook.
0: Oh, all right, put it on. Breaking oh. it, it's my, my holding in here. Can turn it down to a bit. Of,
1: I'm freezing.
0: Oh, Channing!
1: Sure, ah, you stinging odor eater! Give me the sound, Let the sound, you mangy dog batter.
0: There, that's better. Much better. Oh, Regan, you're such a kitter.
1: Bark me, eat me, eat me! You miserable humpback whale. Do it doggy style.
0: Oh, Regan, tell me, have you ever done this with anyone else before?
1: Well, well, well yes, sort of. I saw a lot of a priest a few years back, but. Then we kind of split up.
0: How much of him did he let you see?
1: Ah, <clears throat> uh, you mangy, miserable.
0: Hello. Oh, got a little heavy, huh? I guess he had trouble explaining that to his church, right?
1: Well, no, not exactly. We just... Well, actually, I sort of dropped him.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm. Ah! Well, here we are, Regan. I'll walk you to the door.
1: Why don't you come in? Come on in, Nick. We can have a little wine and... Maybe a little split pea soup.
0: Oh, well, Regan, I'm not sure I should. What about your mother?
1: Oh well, she isn't with us anymore.
0: I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Come here.
1: Let my nostrils, you puked on this summer.
0: Regan, has anyone ever told you you have haunting eyes? Well,
1: no, not really.
0: How about a stronghold?
1: Well, not, not actually, no.
0: Has anyone ever told you you have a foul stench?
1: Oh, oh, well, maybe once or twice. Now, how about a nice threesome? Just you and me and a crucifix.
0: Oh, Reagan, you're a kinky one. Maybe that's why I love you so.